When can you be certain that the Moroccan king is under the influence of three German kickboxers with criminal records and time served in prison? When, for his birthday, the king flies in Lou Bega, the German pop star, on his private jet and hasn't played just a gigolo at the palace. <laughs> <laughs> friends, I'm Sandra. And I'm Tyler. Welcome to this week's episode of Dubious. Today we're talking about a very peculiar situation. We have an exotic setting, Morocco, even though the country has been devastated by that massive earthquake that killed thousands of people back in September 2023, a king, Mohammed VI, a kingdom that needs looking after, and three infamous kickboxers. The three brothers, two are twins, they've been dubbed the Brutal Twins, have a history of violence and criminal records. Their impressive pedigree includes theft, extortion, fraud, physical violence, criminal conspiracy, robberies and recidivism, computer fraud, bodily harm causing permanent disabilities, assault and battery, drug trafficking, forgery and resistance to law enforcement. The Azaitar brothers' influence on the ruler of Morocco is so great that for almost five years, Morocco has been pretty much left without a king. And guess who introduced Abu, Otman, and Omar Azaitar to the king of Morocco? Red One, Lady Gaga's Moroccan-born producer. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, obviously the guy couldn't have known what a massive influence the Azaitars would have on the king, so we're not implying in any way that he's somehow culpable, but it is a very interesting detail, so let's get into it because I can't wait to share this story with our people. In 2018, a photo popped up on Instagram. In the photo, you could see the 54-year-old king of Morocco, Mohammed VI, on a sofa, and right next to him, in fact, kind of like pressed up to him almost, a muscular man in sportswear. Hmm, this was highly unusual because, first of all, traditionally the king was seen by his people in more formal situations, and generally on his gilded throne looking, well, kingly, I guess. And of course, there were photos of the king at public events too, but never photos like the one we mentioned. Obviously, the press immediately started digging, and as it turns out, the muscular guy sitting near the king was Abu Azaitar. Abu was 32 years old at the time, he had two brothers, and he was is a mixed martial arts champion. And a veteran of the German prison system. <laughs> <laughs> surprised though. I mean, look at Andrew Tate, also an MMA fighter, and his brother. We did a full episode on that piece of trash, Andrew Tate, because a lot of his crimes against women, and we're talking trafficking, kidnapping, and hostage-keeping charges. I mean, all that stuff happened in my native country, Romania, and he went to prison for a while. It's kind of a pattern I'm detecting with these some of these MMA fighters. I'm not going to disparage all fighters or athletes. For every Andrew Tate, there's a Muhammad Ali. Every Conor McGregor, there's a Dustin Poirier. But Abu Azaitar displayed all the qualities of small energy, big ego Instagram poser. He moved to Morocco earlier in 2018 and, as expected, he starts flaunting these flashy cars on social media, golden watches, it was all just bling on his Instagram page. Yes, and this is the exact same tasteless, small energy type of content that Andrew Tate posted at Greta Thunberg before she virtually castrated him in one tweet. <laughs> we have an entire episode about Andrew Tate, his brother, the pizza fiasco, and how Greta ruined him in one single, you know, line on Twitter. But anyway, that photo on the couch with the king was not the only thing that seemed out of place. 
Abu Azaitar posted other images and the caption of one of them was written in a very informal tone. Our dear king, I can't thank him enough for everything he has done for us. Now, that might seem okay to most people, like it's respectful enough, right? But that's really not how you do it in Morocco when you talk to a member of the royal house. That type of caption was, along with the sofa photo, a clear indication that Abu Azaitar and King Mohammed were already close. Now, a bit about Morocco. The country is regarded as one of the Arab world's success stories. It has a modern side with a booming car industry, but it also has medieval souks. Souk means market, and they're wonderful. The smells and colors are gorgeous. There are gold souks, spice souks, perfume souks, fabric souks, and so on. They have beautiful architecture, too, like the Riyads, these traditional Moroccan houses with lush indoor gardens and pools. Not to mention the beaches with the white sand, it's like living a dream. Right, like in 1001 Nights, guys. Like, Morocco seems to have all the charm of the Middle East and none of its violence and terrorist attacks and none of the unrest. But Morocco's people still deal with issues that all Middle Eastern countries have been dealing with in the last decade. You know, not enough jobs, inflation, and oppressive security services. So far, in part because of the King Mohammed's constitutional reforms at the height of the Arab Spring in 2011, these issues didn't cause unrest. But in 2018, the situation started to change and the king pretty much disappeared. An official said he was out of the country for over 200 days that year, traveling with Abu Omar and Otman Azaitar. A crisis was brewing in Morocco, and it could be stated that the German kickboxers are at the heart of it. How did three brothers and MMA fighters manage to get so close to the king and have such an influence on him? This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know what I always say, right? You can't ignore your trauma and hope it disappears. The only way forward is to deal with it. Life keeps throwing curveballs at all of us. Fireballs, spitballs, too many balls. And when you're overwhelmed, you're not at your best and it affects your interactions with the people you care about. So how do you deal with it all? Call your therapist like I do. Yes, to be friends, I'm a better help happy customer, been using their services since way before we even started this podcast. I can attest to the fact that Sandra is now, let's say, a much lovelier person to be around. <laughs> oh, shut up. Also, my therapist will love hearing that. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, it's affordable, it's flexible, and most importantly, it's entirely online. And you'll get 10% off your first month if you sign up at betterhelp.com dubious. Yes, and then you can talk to your therapist whenever and however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. So do yourself a favor, take care of your mental health, because when you feel empowered, you are prepared to take on everything life throws at you. Visit betterhelp.com slash dubious to get 10% off your first month or click the link in the episode notes. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash dubious. Well, it was a gradual process, it looks like, and it might be important to mention here that Abu Hazaitar is the main quote-unquote villain, so to speak, but his two brothers have adjacent roles. Nevertheless, they're all intertwined in this story. Right. So for the past five years, Abu Azaitar and his two brothers have monopolized the king. 
Muhammad's advisors tried very hard to reduce the Azaitar's influence, but they had no success. In fact, it seems that people once close to the king had a hand in the publication of articles exposing Abu Azaitar's criminal past in hopes that Muhammad would distance himself from the MMA fighter once he finds out what a horrible person he is. Well, it didn't work. The king doesn't care. In fact, he seems not just distracted, he is most of the time entirely absent. He enjoyed traveling and going on holidays before he met the Azaitars, but now that's all he does. And when he's not abroad, he secludes himself with the brothers in a lavish ranch in the Moroccan countryside, or sometimes uh, they go to the beach to a luxurious kind of like beach cottage type of thing in West Africa, and when they get bored there, they all fly to Paris or London, and then the cycle repeats. Muhammad first appeared in public with the Azaitars on April 20th, 2018, at an event dedicated to their achievements in mixed martial arts. The photos show King Muhammad and the three brothers together with an MMA championship belt. And it seems that's when they actually first met at that event. As they became friends and spent more time together, Abu Azaitar started to post photos of himself and the king. Then Abu and his brothers gradually but surely became a part of the king's household. So the Azaitar brothers moved in the presidential palace. Insane! <laughs> yeah. And that's when the red flags go up and the dubimeter alarms go off. Now the official story was that they were the king's personal trainers and that's why they moved in. But apparently they came with all their families and friends, this whole seedy entourage, everybody moved into the palace. <laughs> that's just crazy, but look, King Mohammed was, let's say, a bit plumpy, a bit chunky at the time, and hey. he also... <laughs> I mean, I'm a chunk too. I can tell, I, I said it before, I can say these things, okay? Because I'm a chunk, so... Anyway, King Mohammed also had asthma and some pulmonary issues, so in a way, from a health point of view, this friendship was beneficial to him. The Azaitars had a gym built in the palace and the king started to work out, he started losing weight, and he was looking better, more fit. Theoretically, this was a healthy transaction for both parties. In exchange for their services, King Mohammed was, of course, extremely generous, not only money-wise. When the Azaitar's mother passed away, he allowed them to bury her in the gardens of his palace in Tangiers. That's very unusual and a very rare honor. And with the king's help and their newly gained and ever-growing influence, the brothers acquired high-end beachfront real estate and continued to flaunt their lifestyle all over social media. Yes, a royal insider told 1843 magazine that, quote, they use military jets, they have carte blanche to function in the palace as they want, they can go to the garage and pick up the cars they want, it's so bizarre. It is, they were pretty much unleashed, could do whatever they wanted. Yes, and as this was unfolding, palace officials became more and more frustrated. In theory, Morocco is a constitutional monarchy, right? But fact is, Mohammed is much more than a, you know, powerless monarch. It's not like in the UK where the king can't get involved in political matters and he has zero political power. In Morocco, the king has the final say on everything and without his unifying involvement, the various political factions are historically inclined to never agree on anything which causes every political act or decision to stall, which then in turn causes endless bickering, which eventually causes people to become discontent and then social unrest, you know, follows. <laughs> so nothing really gets done without the king. And history has shown us that regimes and leaders who fail to act decisively to prevent a crisis usually end up failing themselves or being overthrown. Referring to the current situation in Morocco, another official said, we're a plane without a pilot. 
In King Mohammed's defense, though, he is known to be the most camera shy of all Middle Eastern heads of state. Since becoming king in 1999, he has not held a press conference or given a single TV interview, he's not big on the international summit scene either. In the very few public appearances he made, he fumbled his words, he kept fidgeting, and all in all, he seemed very uncomfortable in public settings. And he's said to be wearing very casual clothing most of the time, like t-shirts and trainers, sometimes even flip-flops. But his wardrobe is not what we're worried about, it's his behavior. It almost seems like he truly doesn't want to be king. Except for the lavish homes and the riches, of course he wants that. <laughs> I mean, true. A court person said that he's not interested in power, all he wants is to lead his life. But you can't have that life with all the perks without fulfilling your role as king. Sorry, just step aside and we'll take over if it's too hard for you. I mean, I think for me as a woman, you know, it wouldn't really work out in Morocco, but Tyler would make a good king, so I guess I'll just be the prime minister or something. I'd love to be rich in Morocco. <laughs> 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 well, thanks. I think you'd make a great queen. Thank you. Unfortunately, though, for both of us, we're the opposite of rich. We don't live in Morocco and we make a podcast. So before we get to the crazy parts of this story, let's remind our listeners about our ad-free content. We're not royalty like Mohammed, so we'd really appreciate your support to be friends. <laughs> yes, our listeners can claim all our episodes ad-free if they become patrons. Yes, guys, as you know, we are an indie podcast. We have no team of editors, no sound designers, no researchers, and so on. It's just the two of us, and we are doing our best every week to create the best content we can in our free time on nights and weekends, sometimes even during work hours. <laughs> <laughs> Sandra, you need to stop saying that. You'll get us fired. What? It's true, though. <laughs> So if you want to support us, please become a patron on dubiouspod.com or by clicking the link in the episode notes right here in the app you're listening to us in. It's cheaper than a box of Moroccan couscous. Right, back to the king and the cage fighter. So as we said, when the Arab Spring started in Tunisia in 2011, by the way, I love Tunisia. I've been there when I was younger and weirdly enough, could afford such a trip. I mean, it has the most beautiful beaches I've ever seen. It's a dream, or at least it was, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago when I was like a baby, before the terrorist situation. So when the Arab Spring protests started, the institution of monarchy played a central role in helping Morocco avoid the revolutions that overthrew regimes across the Arab world. The king had the means to do reform fast, and the monarchy is almost sacrosanct. The Moroccan royal house line goes back to the 8th century. Not the 18th, the 8th. This aura of ancient power is supported by all kinds of rituals, such as the annual baya, or Oath of Allegiance. I'm not 100% sure, but I think the word baya means bath, uh, but in this context it signifies that the subjects, especially palace courtiers, bathe the king in their love and support in their allegiance. Yes, the baya is a ceremony where the king walks out of his palace gates to be greeted by officials, all dressed in white jalabas that classic Arab type of gown men wear with pointed hoods. Hmm, that reminds me of KKK, okay. I know, I had the same thought, but apparently... <laughs> apparently that's what the research says, I mean, that's what they do at this. Yeah, white pointed hoods, what could go wrong? <laughs> I know, right? It was the same image, but let's go on. <laughs> <laughs> the members of government then kiss his hand one by one. 
Then the king delivers his annual televised address from a special desk covered with a cloth embroidered with his coat of arms. The coat of arms dates back only to 1957. The Alawi dynasty from which Mohammed's line comes were sultans whose authority was not solidified, even though the bloodline was very old, as we said. So the French colonized Morocco in the late 19th century and they established a centralized state and decided its boundaries, you know, officially. They also increased the authority of the sultan aka the king, and introduced the famous throne day rituals in the 1930s. The sultan's deputies, or magzen, were reformed into a modern age bureaucracy. Today, the magzen is a state apparatus composed of both elected and appointed officials. The magzen loved protocol, and it became an institution in its own right, but it's also kind of an extension of the monarchy. It's a very unusual system. In Morocco, the term magzen is used to express something akin to deep state, pointing to the influence that powerful business and political elites have on the state apparatus. Yes, and at the top of this political pyramid is the king. After the Arab Spring, he introduced a bunch of constitutional changes, giving more power to elected officials, but at the end of the day, the monarch can still rule as an autocrat if he chooses to. So he's head of the armed forces, he has the last word in any judicial matter, and he can dismiss parliament by royal decree. Just like Donald Trump. <laughs> Mohammed's father, Hassan II, was a strong monarch, hardworking, involved, and exercised his power often. He even kept a secret harem of 50 concubines. What a poor life to live, king of a country with 50 beautiful women at your beck and call. It's a tragedy, really. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but Hassan was filthy rich, so other than keeping these concubines in plush and luxury, he had no other obligation than to rule, I guess, and he just picked whichever one he felt like that evening, and he showed up, and he was received by a gorgeous doting woman who pretended she adored him, or maybe she actually did adore him. So, I mean, I wouldn't say no to massive wealth and 50 adoring lovers who can't fight with me, leave dirty dishes in the sink, or forget to leave the toilet seat. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> unlike his son, Hassan was never happier than when he was flaunting his wealth and power at Arab summits with a cigar in his mouth. He even got the Moxen into punishing and torturing his enemies, and he was known for hanging subjects from their ankles in secret prisons. In 1944, King Hassan said, Whoever disobeys me, disobeys God. <laughs> Dictators and autocrats have this God complex slash God theme. It's what happens when state and church don't stay separated. The second you put religious inspired laws on the books, you are crossing a very dangerous line. So little Mohammed grew up in the shadow of his demanding father. His school program started at 6 a.m. with a one hour long recital of the Quran, and he studied at a school built especially for him within the palace walls. So he was very sheltered and, you know, kept away from regular kids. Still, Hassan wanted Muhammad to understand competition, so he filled his son's school with 12 classmates, hand-picked for their intelligence. These were 12 of the brightest kids in all of Morocco. That's a lot of pressure for the young prince. According to Le Roi Predateur, a biography of Mohammed published in 2012 by two French journalists, Hassan was once heard ordering his servants to give his son 20 lashes because he was falling behind with his studies. This is uncorroborated gossip, uh, as the authors of this book were recently convicted in France of attempting to blackmail the Moroccan government. <laughs> oh, oh <my> Still, 
Still, as far as I understand, the book is held in very high regard still by scholars and historians. So. <laughs> Sandra, this whole story is crazy. It is. <laughs> what we know for a fact is that as a child, Muhammad was introverted. He was interested in basically anything about the outside world because he wasn't allowed to venture outside the palace and he dreamed about exploring other countries. His favorite song was Breakfast in America by the English rock band Supertramp which was about escaping in a jumbo jet. He excelled at languages, and after finishing his master's in public law in Rabat, he went abroad for a bit. Officially, he was interning at the European Commission, and officially, Mohammed was all about the nightlife in Europe. I mean, can you blame him? <laughs> no. <laughs> According to another biography of Mohammed by Ferran Sales Aish from El País, Hassan's spies informed him that the young prince was hitting the bars, and the king was livid and is reported to have said a chromosome error in regard to his son. <laughs> <laughs> so he sent Mohammed to Nice to study law, accompanied by his interior minister, who was there to keep an eye on the young prince. Being young and partying is a chromosome error. I don't want to know what right is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> As time passed, the king and the prince became estranged. Mohammed avoided King Hassan even when he was back in Morocco. While at home, he spent his time in Amnesia, this shady underground club in the capital. One of his closest friends at the time lived above the club, so Mohammed moved in there and even had an elevator installed so that he can descend to Amnesia faster. <laughs> it's quite symbolic if you think about it. Even the name of the club, Amnesia, I think the moral of the story for parents is don't mess up your kids, especially if they're supposed to rule over people and countries. <laughs> <laughs> Only it were that easy. King Hassan died in July 1999. So Muhammad dutifully mourned during the funeral when cameras were rolling, but to close friends, he almost seemed relieved. And everyone hoped that he'll become a modernizing king. And indeed, Muhammad did take on the Moroccan elite and their corruption. He was very aware that some of the palace officials now kissing his hand were the same people who had helped his father control, humiliate, and bully him. So he immediately began to fire senior officials, starting with the interior minister rumored to have spied on him in Nice. I would have done the same. <laughs> he then informed an equity and reconciliation commission to review cases of human rights abuses that went on under his father's rule. So far, so good. I like Mohammed. I mean, he even reformed the Mudevana, the Islamic legal code, making it easier for women to divorce their husbands. He strengthened the infrastructure, built a network of motorways and railways across the country, and soon enough, Morocco's press portrayed Mohammed as a young savior king who would bring this feudal kingdom into the modern age, basically. And as you can expect, there was some pushback against these reforms, so Mohammed appointed old friends to positions in the Moxen to help with that. But they didn't seem to share his desire to change the system. Instead, everyone seemed focused on one thing. They wanted Muhammad to get married. They wanted him to take a wife and produce an heir. So in 2002, he married Salma, a computer engineer who worked for the royal company Ana Group. At about the same time, but before knowing each other, Abu Azaitar, the MMA fighter, was sentenced to two years in prison for dousing a businessman in lighter fuel and stealing his Ferrari. What? <laughs> yes. Anyway, Mohammed's excitement for being king diminished after a few years on the throne, and he didn't like the authority of the Magzen. A childhood friend said that the older he gets, the younger he behaves, because by this point, the king was consumed by his hobbies, including African rap. 
<laughs> so in 2013, he gave a royal medal to Don Big, a Moroccan gangster rapper. He transformed Morocco into a mecca for artists like Metra Gims, the Congolese rapper, and Red One, Lady Gaga's Moroccan-born producer. And young Moroccans loved this. But the Moxen and the elite were horrified, especially at his newfound circle of rap friends. Mohammed was partying a lot, he began to gain weight, even wore sunglasses to hide a growth that was on his left eye. He was so out of shape that he would gasp for air when climbing even a short flight of stairs. And here enter the Azaitar MMA brothers. Brace yourselves because things are about to go crazy. The Azaitars are Muslim and they come from a small town called Freshan on the outskirts of Cologne. Freshan traces its history back to the Dark Ages and so do the people's attitudes to minorities and migrants in this little city. So, you know, until 2018, the name of the local carnival referenced the racist slur. So you can imagine that it wasn't easy for the Azaitar kids to grow up in this environment. So as expected, the town's Muslims kept a low profile, so much so that the mosque was a regular house with no exterior signs of being a place of worship. It was almost undercover. Oh, and I forgot to mention, the Azaitar's parents are from the Reef, the Berber Mountains in the north of Morocco. They emigrated under Germany's Gastarbeiter program, a fixed-term visa scheme introduced after the Second World War when the West German government needed temporary, cheap foreign labor. When the visa program was cut, many workers decided to stay, but they struggled to assimilate because obviously the locals were biased and racist against them. Some, though, embraced their Islamic identity more than they had before coming to Germany. The Azaitar's father was one of these people. He became extremely religious and started running the local mosque. He named his sons after the first three Sunni caliphs, Abu Bakr, Ottoman, and Omar, and sent them to the King Fahd Academy in Bonn, an Arabic-speaking school funded by Saudi Arabia. Growing up, Abu and his identical twin Omar got into Colonia's nightclub scene and they became involved in violent situations. Abu actually admitted in the press that he was robbing people and beating them up almost every day. In 2004, as we mentioned, Abu was sentenced to two years in prison for attacking a businessman. He doused the guy in lighter fuel and then he stole his Ferrari. And very soon after, he was back in court for punching his girlfriend at the Christmas fair and puncturing her eardrum. So Abu Azaitar is a piece of Yes. <laughs> when the press asked him about all the violence he did in the past, the UFC fighter said, when we are young, everybody do something wrong. No, Abu, not everybody do something wrong when we're young. Not everybody puts gasoline on people and threatens to light them on fire and steal their cars. And not everybody hits women. Jesus. Ugh. Anyway, Abu started kickboxing, then mixed martial arts. According to Nicholas Pelham, who wrote the exceptional article for The Economist 1843 magazine, we'll link it in the episode notes, Abu became so good that he was selected for the UFC in Hamburg in 2018. He won his match. His younger brother, Otman, was also a competitive MMA fighter. Abu's twin, Omar, managed them both. The brothers were heroes to many of Colonia's North African migrants. Provincial newspapers dubbed Abu and Omar as the brutal twins. 
And they mixed with some of the most famous people in Germany, footballers and car racing champions, actors and porn stars. Among their newfound celebrity friends was Red One, Lady Gaga's producer, who reportedly served as King Mohammed's unofficial ambassador to the music business. According to one of Mohammed's childhood friends, Red One brought Abu to Morocco and introduced him to the royal entourage. And then Abu had fewer and fewer matches, preferring the luxury of King Mohammed's palace. Mohammed and the Azaitar brothers went cruising on the Lusail, the Qatari Emir's yacht, and partied together in the Seychelles Islands. According to the Spanish media, the king even lent them his own private jets. The Azaitars opened a fast food restaurant in the king's luxury new development, Tangier's Marina Bay. King Mohammed sent his son and heir Hassan to eat burgers at the opening as a PR stunt. <laughs> Abu Azaitar had so much influence at the court that he even got the royal coat of arms sewn onto his clothes. Insane! According to Moroccan media reports, if police stopped him, he called himself Nas Dial Malik, one of the king's people, and he was let go on the spot. And he even had some official duties. The king put him in charge of a sports association to bring famous football players to an event celebrating Morocco's annexation of Western Sahara in 1976. At this point, the Makzen, the government, and people at the court began to rightfully complain that Abu and his brothers acted as royals, as if they were a de facto part of the royal family. This is what someone from the court said. They boss around the ministers. They treat provincial governors like their drivers. The king has made it pretty clear to all his ministers that they can speak on his behalf. They can call ministries for permissions for any stuff they want, direct and unfettered access. And not only that, but they made the king get rid of his advisors and old confidants. The Azaitars replaced them with themselves. They became the king's gatekeepers, basically, and they decided who gets to see the king, so access was through the brothers only. Senior officials and even cousins and other family members who were trying to see the king and talk to him were sent away by the ex-convict cage fighters. Even the king's sisters were kicked out. It's f***ing crazy. <laughs> That's like a Rasputin-esque type of power. It we should do an episode about Rasputin at some point because it's a great story and it's a crazy story and it's 99% unknown or misunderstood. It's a misconception. Rasputin never had an affair with the Tsarina. That would be boring and expected. It's much more interesting than that. But anyway, the Azaitars became more and more snobbish, more infatuated, more blingy. Then they opened another fast food restaurant on Rabat's riverfront. They parked a neon pink Lamborghini outside and brought a huge pink unicorn, a pink giraffe and two prancing blue stallions to the entrance and right next door they opened a donut shop with a crown on the logo and a massive massive throne made of donuts at the door. I mean in fairness I'm not mad at this part. I'd go eat a vegan burger and some donuts there. <laughs> <laughs> no donuts for me but I'll take the Lamborghini. <laughs> also for some Moroccans too this was a welcome change to the traditionalist culture that worships authority. But the Moxen were not happy, especially Morocco's security czar, Abdelatif Hamouchi. This guy came from nothing and worked hard, but he's more on the crazy religious Sharia side of things. He climbed the police ranks and in 2007, he became the head of Morocco's domestic intelligence agency. Then, in just eight years, he took over responsibility for the national security and policing. Since then, Hamouchi has rolled back many of the liberal reforms of Mohammed's first years on the throne. He put independent-minded academics, journalists, businessmen, 
and the lawyers who defended these people on trial and human rights activists were sentenced to long prison terms. We're talking decades here. Under Hamuchi, a new media took shape, a media that was fearful and loyal, above all, to the security apparatus. The press started working for Hamuchi rather than for the king, basically. It's no secret that Morocco's security services have been using coercive methods to silence critics, but Hamuchi favored one method in particular, sexual blackmail. Dissidents and press people are saying that the secret police have recorded them having sex and then showed them the tape. And those who dare to be a problem for Hamuchi and not publish what he wants them to, suffer the consequences. Compromising videos are sent to their families or are being published online. Some of these victims are dragged to court and prosecuted for rape or having sex outside marriage. Yes, that's a crime in Morocco and obviously these accusations are all false. So it's safe to assume that this Hamuchi guy had all kinds of dirt on the Azaitar brothers for sure. Use evil to fight evil, I guess? The question was, how would he use it and when? Right. In the meantime, COVID hit and officials at court were getting even more frustrated because now anyone who wanted to see King Mohammed had to not only bypass the Azaitars, but also be negative when they tested for COVID. One ambassador who went to court to present his credentials was rejected by the brothers 19 times, so he had to take the COVID test 19 times. When the king was in the mood for state business, which was rare, but it happened, he would cram 50 meetings in the space of just a few hours. One time he gave accreditations to 36 ambassadors in one afternoon, and then he disappeared as fast as he appeared. <laughs> mm -hmm. The people in the meantime were not happy with the economy. The massive wealth of the elites had started to draw attention even before the pandemic. And now with everyone cooped up and online... There was even more attention being drawn to this issue. I mean, the king himself was estimated by Tatler to be the fifth richest monarch in the world in 2019. So unrest was on the horizon. A rap song came out called Long Live the People. The song was against the ultra-rich, condemning inequality. The song got more than 16 million views on YouTube within a few weeks of its release in the fall of 2019. The lyrics were directed straight to the King Muhammad. Don't ask me about the country's treasures. Who plundered its wealth? Who benefits from its two seas and its mines? COVID-19 also froze Morocco's tourism, small businesses weren't doing great, and the king introduced some relief measures, but it wasn't enough, so people were mad. Anyway, it didn't take long for the population and the security services to look at those responsible for distracting Mohammed from his duties as king. In December 2020, an article appeared about the Azaitar brothers in the Moroccan press. The headline was The Bad Reputation of the Azaitar Trio. They were referred to as the notorious crooks with immoral inclinations. And this article was in reality coming from Hamuchi, but it wasn't a fabrication. The Azaitars did all that stuff the article said they did. And once the media floodgates opened, more info about the Azaitars came out in the months that followed. According to the Economist 1843 magazine, Shuf TV broadcast footage of the brothers pushing themselves to the front of a queue at a government hospital. Espress released Abu Azaitar's German criminal record last March. Theft, extortion, fraud, physical violence, criminal conspiracy, robberies and recidivism, computer fraud, driving without a license, bodily harm causing permanent disability, assault and battery, drug trafficking, forgery, and resistance to law enforcement. An incredible pedigree. 
Another Hispress article detailed Abu Azaitar's alleged extravagance, which included driving a 3 million euro Bugatti Veyron. It was an unprecedented attack on the royal inner circle. But as horrible as the Azaitars were, the info given to the press by Hamuchi's secret police backfired. The scandal seemed to push the king even further away from his throne and his duties. In the summer of 2022, he moved to Paris for half a year. His excuse was that he needs to be with his aging mother who lives in a posh suburb, but he privately admitted that he would stay away until the Maxen, the state apparatus, stopped telling him how to live. So, the king spent his time at the mansion near the Eiffel Tower and also at the secluded chateau in the northeast of uh, France, but he and his entourage still feared Hamuchi's reach, even in France. So the king's inner circle regularly replaced their SIM cards for fear that the Maxen were listening, and they changed the locations of meeting places, never talked important things in public. In October, Mohammed finally returned to Morocco for the state opening of parliament, but immediately after, he flew off to Gabon. <laughs> At this point, it seemed that the King Mohammed was more recalcitrant the more isolated he got, and he was snapping at people. He couldn't have even been bothered to attend Queen Elizabeth II's funeral in London, or the Arab League summit in Algeria, or Morocco's victories at the World Cup. In fairness, he did drive with the fans to celebrate in the streets of the capital. Yeah, and in early 2023, the Spanish Prime Minister came to Rabat to work on improving relations between the two countries after, you know, they had a tiny diplomatic crisis over Western Sahara, but King Mohammed was nowhere to be found. It seemed pretty clear at that point that there was a standoff between the Maxen and the king over the Azaitar brothers. If the state apparatus and the security services wanted their king back, they had to accept the Azaitars. The king and the cage fighters came as a package. That being said, the situation in Morocco remained volatile. Though tourism bounced back, the supply of energy Energy and food following Russia's invasion has some issues, costs are rising, and the people are not happy. The government implemented some subsidies for staple goods, but the poorest of Moroccans still struggle. And if King Mohammed doesn't give up his cage fighters and starts focusing on his country, things could escalate. While the Moroccans are not yet uttering the word abdication, they started using euphemisms like the Spanish model. This is a reference to Juan Carlos of Spain, who had to pass over the crown to his son after a series of scandals. So there is already talk of Mohammed's 19-year-old son, Hassan, potentially becoming a successor. Another option could be the king's younger brother, Rashid. But unlike Juan Carlos, though, Mohammed has an ace up his sleeve. In Morocco, the king, not the parliament, is sovereign, and Mohammed doesn't seem to contemplate retiring gracefully, despite the fact that he kind of hates his job, I guess, and wants to party with his MMA twins, brothers, whatever. He seems to love the power and money his position entails. So the only way is for the state to accept the MMA fighters. But Hamuchi and the Moxen are not going to have the Azaitar brothers involved with government business. So a military coup against the king is not out of the realms of possibility here. There is precedent. The king's father, Hassan, was almost overthrown twice by his security chiefs. It all depends on the people's reaction to such a development. Already, thousands of Moroccans took to the street in 2022. Then there was a drought, more protests are brewing, there is palpable tension in Rabat, and now with the earthquake and its devastating aftermath, things are only going to get more tense. 
and leadership was is needed, but King Muhammad and his cage fighters were nowhere to be found. But in June, Muhammad came back. It's unclear if the fighters were still part of his inner circle. What we do know is Morocco's king has embarked on a myriad of public activities, which observers say aim to restore the authority of the monarchy, as international media have questioned his prolonged absences from the country. So... Is it all for show, or is he serious now about his duties and the gravity of the situation? Are the Azaitar brothers still whispering in his ear? Only time will tell. Right, so Tyler, what's your dubimeter level for this story scale 1 to 10? I'm gonna say a 9 plus. We have a king who could be a great leader. He's liberal, he gave women more rights, he could modernize Morocco if he wanted to lead. Which initially he did until the Azaitar brothers came along. The thing is, it's not the first time in history when kings were influenced by idiots. That's why I'm going with a 9 plus instead of a 10. But it is certainly for the first time in history when we have such distasteful characters with violent pasts pose such a problem for a country's leadership and maybe future. So we're in agreement, Dubimeter level 9 plus. Dubi friends, if you like us, please recommend Dubius to your friends and family. Personal recommendations are the best recommendations. And Sandra loves reviews, so we'd love to hear from you. Yes, and five stars. I love the stars too. We are a Dubius pod on all social media. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. We love you, Dubi friends, and don't forget, stay dubious. <laughs>